When studying the history of ancient Iran, we come across the two peoples known as the Persians and the Medes. It's often true that of these two somewhat related peoples, the emphasis is generally placed on the Persians, with many assuming that the Medes only played a minor role in the history of ancient Iran. This is actually not the case. As one who's studied Persian history for most of my life, I can honestly say that I've come to the conclusion that there may not have even been a Persian Empire, let alone a country called Persia, or more accurately, Iran, had it not been for the people known as the Medes. In this program, we'll discover how that may have happened. So, let's first define who the Medes were. Called Mada in Old Persian, the Medes, as the Greeks called them, were an Indo-European people who had made their home in the Zagros Mountains and other parts of what's today mostly Western Iran. The Assyrians called their land Matmadaya, meaning Land of Mada, or the Medes. Unfortunately, we don't have any primary sources from the Medes themselves, which makes reconstructing their early history extremely difficult. It's widely believed that at least some groups of Medes may have migrated into the region with other Indo-Iranian tribes from the steppes of Central Asia sometime in the second millennium BCE. However, the Medes first appear in the historical record in the annals of the Assyrian king Shalmaneser III during the 24th year of his reign, which would have been 835 BCE. In these annals, he states, Moving on from the land of Parsua, I went down to the lands of Mesu, Media, Araziash, and Harhar, and captured the cities of Kuakinda, Hazanabi, Isamul, and Kinablila. I massacred them, plundered them, and razed, destroyed, and burned those cities. Despite all the destruction, Shalmaneser doesn't give any indication that his forces remained to occupy the region. His son and successor, Shamshiadad V, would venture back into the region some years later. Like his father, he claims to have more or less done the same to numerous Median cities and towns, but again, without any lasting gains. In his annals, he tells us, I reached the land of the Medes. They took fright in the face of the angry weapons of Asher and my strong warfare, which have no rival and abandoned their cities. They ascended a rugged mountain and I pursued them. I massacred 2,300 soldiers of Hanasiruka the Mede. I took away from him 140 of his cavalry and carried away his property and possessions in countless quantities. His son, Adad-Nirari III, claims to have done better, actually exacting tribute from them. Despite their boasting, the reality seems that these Assyrian kings did little more than conduct a few glorified raids into Median territory for the sake of plunder, slaves, and horses. The horses possessed by the Medes were some of the best in the known world, and was probably the main reason for Assyrian incursions into their land. It's during the reign of Tiglath-Pileser III that the Assyrians finally seem to get somewhere with regard to lasting conquests. He claims in several records that Media was one of the lands invaded, plundered, burned, and eventually annexed by his men. I ordered my armies to march against the Medes. 
As for those city rulers who were not submissive, I conquered their cities, defeated them, and took their spoil. As for those who did submit, I received their tribute. 130 horses from Bit Ishtar and its district. I received 120 horses from the cities of Ginuzanu, Sabat, Sisad. 100 horses from Upash of Bit Kapsi. 100 horses from Ushru of Nikisi. I'll stop here because the rest of the text basically continues on about how many horses he received and from whom. Tiglath-Pileser III's successors, namely Sargon II, Sennacherib, Isarhaddon, and Ashurbanipal, all claim to have fought against the Medes. But with each king, we seem to see a familiar pattern or cycle of raids into Media, subjugation of several Median fortresses or fortified towns, followed by revolts, and finally, the Assyrian army coming back to subdue them all over again. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the words of these kings themselves. A copy of Sargon II's annals found at his capital city of Dur-Shurukin and chronicling the eighth year of his reign, which would have been around 714 BCE, states the following. To Parsuash I descended. The city rulers of Namri, Sagibuti, Bit-Abdad-Ani, and the land of the mighty Medes heard the coming of my expedition. The desolating of their lands in my previous year had remained in their minds, and terror fell upon them. Their heavy tribute they brought out from the midst of their country, and made Parsuash my possession. Horses, fast ones, fiery mules, Bactrian camels, offspring of their lands, large and small cattle, I received. It seems though that the Medes weren't terrified enough, because Sargon II had to either return or keep sending forces back to Media in an effort to totally subdue the land. His son Sennacherib also had to face the Medes, but either he didn't read the annals and inscriptions of his predecessors, or just had major amnesia. He states in his annals, On my return, I received the heavy tribute of the distant Medes, whose name no one among the kings, my fathers, had heard. To the yoke of my rule, I made them submit. Though obviously a nuisance, by the language of such texts, it's clear that the Assyrian kings had some respect for the Medes, as they constantly called them the Mighty Medes, or the Distant Medes. In fact, just how distant or spread out the Medes were at the time is unclear, but it seems that the land they occupied reached at least to the Albaros Mountains and the great salt deserts of northern and central Iran. Sennacherib's son and successor, Isarhaddon, claimed in an inscription, Tribute and contributions from my lordship I imposed on them. Patushari, a land bordering the salt desert, in the midst of the land of the distant Medes, by Bikni, the lapis lazuli mountain, on whose soil none of the kings, my forefathers, had ever set foot. Some scholars have identified this Bikni mountain to be Mount Alvand, not too far from the city of Hamadan, whose old Persian name was Hagmatana, and in Greek, Ekbatana, the traditional capital of the Medes. Others, though, believe that Bikni might actually be Mount Damavand, just north of the modern-day Iranian capital of Tehran. Neither of these mountains, though, are known to contain any deposits of lapis lazuli. 
The Medes are portrayed in Assyrian texts as a divided society with various factions ruled by chieftains who may have each controlled a fortress or two and a few small towns. It also seems that there were fierce rivalries between many of these groups. For example, Isarhaddon records receiving a delegation from a group of Median leaders asking for aid against others. Upis, city ruler of Partaka, Zanasana, city ruler of Partuku, and Ramatea, city ruler of Urakazabarna, distant dwelling Medes, who in the time of the kings, my fathers, had never crossed over the frontier of Assyria, nor set foot on its soil. Terror overcame them. Because of some other city rulers who threatened them, they besought my lordship and pleaded for assistance. I sent my men with them as governors of their lands. They trampled down the inhabitants of those cities and subjected them to my feet. Tribute and contributions for my lordship I imposed on them. The Greek traveler and historian, Herodotus, whose monumental and famous work, The Histories, was really our only source of Median history up until the discovery and translation of Assyrian and Babylonian texts. He also describes early Median society as being broken up into various factions that vied with each other for influence. Of course, everything that Herodotus wrote has to be taken with a pound of salt. While Herodotus does provide us with a good deal of information with regard to the early history of the Medes and their kings, his narrative is rife with legendary tales and stories that are pretty much impossible to confirm. According to Herodotus, the founder and first king of a Median state was Diochis, whose old Iranian name is Dayuka. It was he who finally united the various Median tribes under one banner. According to Herodotus, he didn't do this out of some altruistic motive, but simply for the sake of power. In the histories, he writes, There was among the Medes a wise man named Diochis, son of Phraortes. This Diochis longed for power and set about it in the following way. At the time the Medes lived in villages, and in his own village he was already a man of note. Now he began to devote himself ever more keenly to the practice of justice. He did this at a time when there was much lawlessness throughout Median territory, well aware that injustice is the enemy of law. When the Medes in his own village saw how he behaved, they chose him to be their judge. Because in this way he obtained great praise from his fellow citizens, so much so, in fact, that those in the other villages were convinced that Diochis was the only man who dispensed justice honestly. And as they were suffering from unjust decisions, they gladly went to Diochis after they heard about him in order to submit their cases to him and, eventually, entrusted them to no one else. As soon as proposals were made about who should be appointed king, Diochis was put forward and praised by everyone so that they agreed that he should be their king. Diochis then ordered them to build a palace for him in keeping with the dignity of kingship, and to give him a guard of spear-bearers. The Medes did that. They built him a large, fortified palace on the site he indicated, and let him choose his spear-bearers from among all the Medes. When he had obtained power in this way, he forced the Medes to build one town and defend it, in particular at the expense of the others. The Medes obeyed him in this as well, and he built large and strong walls. 
This is now called Ekbatana. While Herodotus' story of the early Median state may seem to be more folklore than fact, it probably does have some truth to it. As a people, the Medes were divided, a fact that the Assyrians also wrote about. If they were to survive, let alone be independent of foreign rule, then they'd have to band together. We've seen in past programs that the history of the ancient Near East is filled with instances of such tribes coming together for their common defense, such as the petty Hurrian kingdoms forming the kingdom of the Mitanni, or the chieftains of the lands of Nairi and Urartu forming their own powerful kingdom. Even the Elamites would band together as one in order to face a common threat. The Median tribes must have recognized this, and in much the same way, though perhaps not exactly in the manner stated by Herodotus, chose a trustworthy leader from amongst themselves to become their king. It's unknown exactly when Diochis became king, let alone the date of his birth. Herodotus though says that he reigned for 53 years, but again, this is impossible to verify. What is known is that sometime during the reign of King Ashurbanipal, the last great king of Assyria, the Medes seemed to have become somewhat independent of Assyrian rule. While Ashurbanipal mentions military campaigns against the Medes and their cities, as well as taking much loot back to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, unlike some of his predecessors, he makes no mention of any Median chieftains ever paying tribute to him or even requesting his aid to deal with their rivals. Perhaps the Medes had indeed become independent of Assyria and were now ruled by one king, as Herodotus stated. Again, we don't know for sure, but one could make such an argument, based on the few ancient sources that we have. Diochis was succeeded by his son, Fraortes, whose name is Fravartish in Old Persian. According to Herodotus, he's credited with expanding the boundaries of Media to include many other kingdoms, including that of another tribe known as the Parsa, or Persians. Unfortunately, in this case, the only source we have on Fraortes' activities are the words of Herodotus. When he took over, he was not content with just ruling over the Medes, but made war on the Persians. They were the first he attacked, and the first he subjected to the Medes. After he had these two peoples, both strong, he began to subject Asia, going from one people to the next, until while campaigning, he came up against the Assyrians, especially those Assyrians who had Nineveh, and who had previously ruled everything. But at this time, they were quite isolated, their allies having abandoned them. However, in themselves, they were powerful. It was against these that Fraortes fought and was himself killed, having ruled 22 years together with much of his army. Currently, there's no agreement on the dates of Fraortes' reign. Some scholars put it at 675 to 653 BCE, while others from 678 to 625 BCE. He was succeeded by his son, Huvakshtra, better known by his Greek name, Syacheres. Herodotus tells us that it was Syacheres who organized the Medes into what we'd probably describe today as a modern army. Around 630 BCE, Ashurbanipal, the last great king of Assyria, passed away, and from that point onward, the Assyrian Empire went into steep decline. Now, I've already talked about the possible reasons for that decline in a previous episode on Assyria, which I'll link to, so we won't discuss it here. However, 
This decline gave Assyria's many enemies and discontented subjects an opportunity to mobilize and challenge it. Several of these local rulers declared their independence from Nineveh, including a certain Nabopolassar of Babylon. By 625 BCE, he had established himself as king of Babylon and a decade later felt confident enough to attack Assyria directly. Like the Medes, the Babylonians had also suffered under Assyrian rule, but for much longer. In fact, their rivalry went back over seven centuries. Nabopolassar marched on Asher, Assyria's spiritual and cultural base, which had served as its capital for nearly 1,000 years before that of other cities such as Kalhu and Nineveh. Though he surrounded and assaulted the city, he was ultimately unable to capture it. Sayasharis of Media also wanted to see the demise of Assyria, his kingdom's greatest threat. He marched into Assyria and took several cities before arriving at the holy city of Asher. Sometime in 615 or possibly 614 BCE, the Medes under Sayasharis captured Asher, destroyed its temples, completely plundered it of anything of value, and then razed it to the ground. One translation of a Babylonian chronicle recording the event is as follows. In the month of Ab, the Medes went along the Tigris and encamped against Asher. They did battle against the city and inflicted a terrible defeat upon a great people, plundered and sacked them. The king of Akkad and his army, who had gone to help the Medes, did not reach the battle. The king of Akkad and his army, of course, refers to Nabopolassar and the Babylonians. Sayasharis' goal was to give the Assyrians a blow from which they could never recover, which in all honesty, he did. The loss and destruction of Asher was a psychological blow greater than any military defeat. Despite this, the Assyrian Empire was far from finished, as the great capital of Nineveh, at that time possibly the greatest and most beautiful city in the world, still remained, along with many other important cities towards the west. Just as the ashes of Asher were settling, the Babylonians arrived outside the now-ruined city. Sayasharis and Nabopolassar met in person for the first time and officially formed an alliance, as the same Babylonian chronicle also records. The king of Akkad and Sayasharis met one another in front of the city and concluded a mutual accord and peace. Sayasharis and his army went home. The king of Akkad and his army went home. The two regrouped a couple of years later to make a coordinated assault on Assyria's capital. The armies of the Medes and the Babylonians marched up the Tigris River to Nineveh. It must have been an awe-inspiring sight to be there in front of the massive walls of what was then the world's wealthiest and greatest city. However, its ultimate fate was no different than that of Asher. After a three-month siege, it too was destroyed by the combined forces of the Medes and the Babylonians. Another succinct translation of the Babylonian Chronicle tells us, They camped against Nineveh from the month of Sivan until the month of Ab. For three months they subjected the city to a heavy siege. They inflicted a heavy defeat upon a mighty people. They carried away heavy spoils from the city and the temple. They turned the city into a ruin heap. Remnants of the Assyrian Empire continued to fight on in the west, especially around the cities of Haran and Carchemish, 
but they too were ultimately defeated. After that, whatever may have remained of the Assyrian Empire completely disappears from history. Herodotus' account of the event is a bit more verbose, but ultimately also comes to the same conclusion. Sayasharis and his allies conquered Nineveh and put an end to Assyrian rule. Sayasharis and Nabopolassar divided up the former Assyrian territories amongst themselves, whereby the Medes took much of the land to the north. This included what was once the Kingdom of Urartu in modern Armenia and parts of central Anatolia, which put the Medes onto a collision course with the Kingdom of Lydia and its king, Aliatis. From 590 to 585 BCE, the two sides fought against each other, though neither could claim victory. Eventually, both of them made peace, and Sayasharis' son, Astyages, married one of the daughters of the Lydian king. Herodotus gives a rather interesting account of these events, which again, reads more like a fairy tale than a work of historical writing, but also seems to contain elements of truth within it, which I'll explain shortly. War broke out between the Lydians and the Medes, which went on for five years, with sometimes the Medes victorious over the Lydians, sometimes the Lydians victorious over the Medes. There was also a night battle. As the war proved indecisive for both sides, it happened in the sixth year, while they were fighting, and in the middle of the battle, suddenly day turned to night. The Lydians and the Medes, when they saw night instead of day, stopped the battle, and both sides were most anxious to make peace. Those who brought them together were Cyanesis, the Cilician, and Labinetus, the Babylonian. They were the ones who brought about a sworn agreement between the two and an exchange of marriage. They decided that Aliatis should give his daughter, Arianus, to Astyages, son of Syacheres, because without such a strong tie, agreements tend not to remain strong. So in Herodotus' account of events, which he wrote down nearly 200 years after they'd occurred, it stated that the Medes and Lydians finally ceased hostilities after day had been changed to night, which scholars have identified as reference to an eclipse. For the two warring kings, though, it must have been interpreted as a sign from the gods that they were displeased. What's interesting is that astronomers have actually been able to date this eclipse to May 26th, 585 BCE. When Astyages took the throne in 584 BCE, he had inherited a new empire that may have been the most powerful in the region. Given that he ruled for 34 years, he probably also expanded its territory considerably, especially to the east in what's now central and eastern Iran. Unfortunately, it's hard to verify what he did because records of Median activity, as well as Astyages' reign, are almost non-existent. In fact, we have to rely yet again on Herodotus, who describes Astyages as a rather aloof and somewhat cruel figure. That may though have been to set up the protagonist of some of his later stories, none other than Cyrus the Great of Persia, who according to Herodotus was Astyages' grandson through his daughter, Mandani. Herodotus gives quite a long account of how Cyrus eventually came to power, something that we'll discuss in more depth on episodes related to the life of Cyrus the Great and the Persian Achaemenid Empire. In short though, Herodotus says that Astyages was told in a dream that his grandson would one day overthrow him, and so instead of marrying his daughter Mandani to a Median noble, he married her off to one of his vassal kings, 
Cambyses. Herodotus describes Cambyses as a Persian from a good family and of quiet habits, but status-wise, lower than a middle-ranking Mede, and thus not a threat to his throne. Despite this, Astyages continued to be haunted by dreams of his unnamed grandson overthrowing him, and thus asked his closest confidant, Harpagus, to kill Cambyses and Mandini's baby boy soon after it was born. However, Harpagus had a heart and couldn't bring himself to kill an innocent child, so he passed the baby Cyrus to a shepherd named Mithridates, whose own wife had given birth to a stillborn. Instead of killing the baby Cyrus, Mithridates and his wife adopted him and raised the child as their own. Years later, when Cyrus had grown to become a fine young boy, Astyages, who apparently didn't have a son, happened to meet the young lad and recognized him to be his own grandson. Astyages decided to spare Cyrus's life, but punished Harpagus for his deception by ordering his son to be killed and then served to the father as the main dish at a banquet. Harpagus vowed revenge, and when Cyrus succeeded his father Cambyses as king of Persia, he motivated the new king to rebel against his grandfather. When the battle between Astyages and Cyrus came, the Median army defected over to Cyrus's side, and, along with being king of Persia, he became king of the Medes as well. Of course, this is the popular story as told by Herodotus and can't be verified. It's also not the only story, as Xenophon, Cetisias, and later Greek and Roman historians have their own versions whose details differ quite a bit. There is a Babylonian text known as the Nabonidus Chronicle, which recounts the same event. It reads, Astyages mustered his army and marched against Cyrus, king of Anshan, for conquest. The army rebelled against Astyages, and he was taken prisoner. They handed him over to Cyrus. Cyrus marched to Ekbatana, the royal city. The silver, gold, goods, property which he carried off as booty from Ekbatana, he took to Anshan. And that, very succinctly, is how the Median Empire is believed to have ended. Well, perhaps not ended, but had a drastic change in management at the top. According to most scholars, there was little to no resistance to the new Persian king. And that's not because of Herodotus' story, but because as of now, there hasn't been archaeological evidence to show some sort of violent takeover. Though Herodotus' version reads more like a legend than a serious history text, the crucial event common to both it and the Babylonian chronicle, that of the Median army defecting to Cyrus's side, indicates that the Medes may have indeed seen Cyrus as a legitimate successor to Astyages. After all, Cyrus was related by blood to the royal house of Media. We should also remember that the Persians and Medes were very similar with regard to their culture, customs, religion, and origin, so much so that the Greeks would often identify and write about the two as if they were one people. This doesn't mean that everything was all peaches and cream, Media revolted several times during the Achaemenid period, but overall, the relationship between the two peoples was a relatively strong one. Regardless, the Median state was literally the backbone of what became the Persian Empire, something that we'll discuss in much more detail in other episodes. Thanks so much for stopping by, I really appreciate it. If you learned something, or simply just enjoyed the program, please don't hesitate to hit that like button because it helps out the channel a lot. 
You can also follow History with Sai on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care and stay safe.